Welcome back to another episode of Friends From Work. This is a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hosted by me, Kyle Skonawil, and him, Robbie Earl. If you're just now finding this podcast, welcome. We're excited to have you here. You can go back and catch up with any of our other content. It's all available online, and we'd love you for that. But Robbie, how are you today? I'm doing well today. Um, I am sort of just now getting over the the time change here, but... Are you surviving the stock market crash and coronavirus Jeez, of man. 2020? The world is kind of ending out there, but <laughs> just great weather. <laughs> great weather, and meanwhile, you can listen to our podcast, at least on the way out. Right, we're on the way out. How are you doing up in, <laughs> up in Nashville? Not, not so great weather. Yeah, we, we didn't get hit, which is good, thankfully. Right. But man, some of the areas you would remember got destroyed, which is crazy. Man. So it's kind of weird to have some of your favorite places gone. Dude, I um, know. Some of those wild. pictures are, are nuts. It is like, it does feel very doomsday-esque out there, you know? It, it does. Combine that with the coronavirus and stock market, yeah. and it's like dead man zone out here. It feels a little um, bit like we're living in the, in the blip. It, it does a little <laughs> bit. I will say, on a serious note, the one glass half full view of this is that it's always fun to see Nashville like come together. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, there's yeah. just been a crazy outpouring of support and people volunteering and restaurants giving out free food and shelter and the right. Preds, you know, donated food. And um, Nashville's really good at that. I'm sure Austin would be too, but yeah. Nashville's been really good at that stuff. You remember the flood. Yeah. They just, yeah. yeah. They handle it well. So. No, that's what I was going to say. I remember being there during all that, and there was a similar... There, It's this very quick coming together that happens that I think is really cool. So to catch everybody up, today we are talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, yes. which should be really fun. Yes. <laughs> and Robbie, <laughs> Robbie and I have talked about all the movies coming up that we're so excited about. And this one often, unfortunately, gets a little bit lost in that <laughs> shuffle of our excitement. But I am excited to be here today. Yeah. So that's good. We have <laughs> this movie, Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame left. And that's it for us. It's crazy. Which is just wild. But I don't want anyone to panic. We've been getting a lot of questions about what are we going to do after this. And don't worry, we have a plan and there's an episode upcoming that we're going to detail all of that stuff for you. This is true. So just hang tight. We got it. I also need to say thank you to everybody who did actually go and leave us reviews as we asked a few weeks ago. Yes. We got a few more and we've gotten a lot of good feedback. We had so much fun talking about Spider-Man last week. So all that's been good. As always, you can check us out anywhere podcasts are found, friends from work, and... Our website, still spanking new, theffwpodcast.com. <laughs> Subscribe to us, tell your friends, all that good stuff. Okay, Robbie, before we get started with Ant-Man and the Wasp, though, I have a few leftovers. They're quick. All right. One, and you're going to love this one. You're going to love the first one. <laughs> I am officially on the record going to move Captain America, the first Avenger, one, from 75 <laughs> up <laughs> to 81. I will explain why later, but yes, I have to move it up. So I know I've been hinting at that. I've been teasing people that I might do that. <laughs> it's finally happening. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> so I'll explain that more later. Secondly. Thank you. Thank you for seeing reason. Yeah. <laughs> My second thing is that I don't know if I said this wrong in the Black Panther episode, but 
Black Panther was nominated for sound mixing, sound editing, best picture, and it won costume design, production design, and original score, but it was not nominated for anything with visual effects. So I think I was talking about visual effects with Infinity War. Right, right, and right. I was incorrect. So it did win three Oscars, but visual effects is not one of them. So correction from my end. Okay. Two more leftovers. They're really quick. Greg online asked us what our favorite soundtracks were, and we talked about that in our mailbag episode. I would also like to add that I did say Infinity War. I have to also say Endgame. Sure. I don't know why I glossed over that, but I was listening to it the other day. There's as many memorable themes in that, and I still get that porch melody that I love worked mm-hmm. into the Endgame score. So that might have to still be my answer. So that's my correction there. And lastly, I wanted to ask you this. Um, we never talked about the post credit scene in Spider-Man Homecoming last week. Right, and right. there's a scene where Vulture runs into a character that I'm led to believe I think is going to be some version of Scorpion. Uh-huh. And I don't remember the exact dialogue, but he says something like, do you know where Spider-Man is or something like that? And Vulture has this kind of weird, evil-looking smile and then says, if I already knew where he was, he'd already be dead. It's some form of that. And I've never known, how are we supposed to interpret that? I've never known is that like Adrian Toomes is lying about not knowing who Spider-Man actually is because he has a secret plan with Scorpion to get out and kill him? Uh Or is that Adrian Toomes' character is a little bit changed because Spider-Man tried to save his life, so he's lying about him to protect him. So I've always taken it as the latter because I don't see his smile there as, to the extent that it's kind of evil, I feel like it's more posturing. It's a genuine smile, you think? Well, I think he could be, he's, he's trying to come off as like, oh, like, you know, if I knew where he was, I'd kill him. But then after yeah, tough. after he walks by, I feel like you see him kind of look up, and I don't take that as much of a smile as more of a like, like reflective kind of like. I think he's still torn because Peter did save his life. He is a kid. He's like he knows okay, so he's a good kid. Thought, you know, fun thought. Hypothetically, if if Adrian got released from prison, what would be his course of action with Spider Man? Yeah, like I mean, I think- is he going to be a part of the Sinister Sticks fighting against him? Or is he changed and he's going to help him or just stay neutral? Interesting to think about. That's my point. I mean, point. I, have to, I have to think that some element of that. I mean, if that doesn't get picked up in Spider-Man 3 in some way, I'll be disappointed because it's such an interesting okay. idea, you know? Yeah. Okay, so if you don't have any other leftovers, then we can just leave it there and we can discuss that further. And I think now let's get into the movie, actually. Yeah, let's do it. Ant-Man and the Wasp. All right, so this was released not too long ago. This was a 2018 release. Um, It came out, what, two months after Avengers Infinity War? Um, Palette cleanser? Yep, yep, the example of the palette cleanser there. Um, It was again directed by Peyton Reed. Um, Paul Rudd returned as a writer, although we lost Adam McKay, which is a little sad for me. But something I noticed this time on the writing front that I've never noticed before, Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, who are TV writers, generally kind of TV comedy writers, community, American Dad, that kind of stuff, co-wrote this screenplay. They also co-wrote Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Interesting, huh? 
I'm. I, it's very interesting. I'm sitting here thinking, is the humor the same? I need to process that a little more. Yeah. See if I can pick up a similar vibe amongst those three movies. What's also interesting to think about is I noticed that John Watts was a, a credited writer on Homecoming, but not on Far From Home. Mm. So you might notice the influence. There, there might be more of a tie, I guess, between Ant-Man and the Wasp and Far From Home than there would be between this and, and say, uh, Homecoming. But anyway, that was just something I hadn't. But I, I do think it kind of makes sense on some level. They're both sort of family-friendly-esque Funny, but yeah, not sure. not Guardians Ragnarok style funny, you know. But yeah, smaller scale films, both of them. Right, right. But just a fun fact: um, cast here, we have pretty much everyone returning from the last film, minus uh, Corey Stoll. R.I.P. Worship leader Darren Cross. <laughs> Darren Cross. <laughs> I'm sure your wife is okay with it, as am I. <laughs> I think I think most of us are. Although I I am really curious. We never heard anything back. I. We put out a post about this on Instagram when we covered Ant Man because <laughs> I really wanted someone to come out hard in defense of Darren Cross' yeah. yellow jacket and just it just didn't happen. Did, yeah, I just I I have is radio silence out there. So if you're I listening, feel like a lot of people feel the same way about that movie as we do. I think I think you're right. But if you're if you're listening right now and you're thinking no no, that guy Darren Cross is my jam. Is, he is it for me. Uh, yeah, hit us up because man, I vulture, killmonger, Darren cross, like one of the three interchangeable (laughs) because I was, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take us on a, on a random detour too much here, but I was just seeing some other, some ranking lists. You know, I always enjoy whenever I see people publish their, their lists and there are always certain things that shock me. Um, and one of the things that, that shocks me is Ant-Man on a lot of lists I've seen, ranks like fairly high like uh, like top 10 no yeah not top 10 yeah i mean it's not my top 10 we've been over this but yeah i've seen it top 10 and it's such a hard thing again like to your wife it's a top 10 that's so true that's so true yeah the movie is okay like it's pretty decent for what it's trying to do i just don't always appreciate what it's trying to do relative to the other films right but then again, even even my wife, who does love this movie, was was quick to say that Darren Cross was not was not a contributing factor to that love. Yeah, you so. get estimates. There's still some parts that don't work. That's for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about who's here instead of Darren Cross. Uh, we have Walton Goggins coming in, who I love in this movie as Sonny Birch. Yes. Um the the Tarantino fan in me loves seeing that. Um, I also like Lawrence Fishburne showing up here. Randall Park mm. as Agent Jimmy Wu um, is hilarious. I think he and Paul Rudd's interactions are some of the funniest to me. Um, and then we have Michelle Pfeiffer show up, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on her performance in this movie. Well, and we'll get there. I think one of the surprising things about her being in this film is that she has very little screen time. And I think the buildup to this was, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer's in this movie. What the heck? Right. And then for an actress of her caliber to only be in the movie for what, 20 minutes? Yeah. I, was I, just unique. I mean, at most. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but I'm not saying it's bad. I just, that's interesting. And then we have, and forgive me here, Hannah Dominique E. John Common. <laughs> <laughs> She's a she's a British actress. Um, she's been in in Game of Thrones. She was in Ready Player One. Um, she shows up here as Ghost. I think does a great job here. 
Um, if she just heard you <laughs> reading that, she threw up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so I got to also add here that she does a really good job. And my wife has always been mad at me since our villains episode that she was not an honorable mention oh, in our see, original yeah. villains episode. Yeah. So, okay. I'm glad you said that. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but one thought that I had here, it just in, maybe this is a good time to say this in general, watching this movie was so great for me as the final movie in what we've been calling our Civil War Fallout trilogy. And you love your rewatch order. <laughs> I do, I do, I do. And I mean that in several ways. Um, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> because the movie, and we'll talk about the merits of the movie itself, which I do love and had fun with, but like, I, I love the way that these movies kind of fit together. I love the timing of them all where we get Black Panther right after we get Spider-Man Homecoming a few months after, and then we get this two years after, which I think is actually really important in terms of kind of setting the stage for how much time has passed next time we see the folks from Civil War and Infinity War, which is not context that we really had available at the time. So I think that's really nice to have moving forward, not just into those, but even into Ragnarok in terms of how long it's been since Thor has been on Earth, right? Because that's something else that we don't really know in Ragnarok, and I don't think we get really any context there. Um, so there's that side of it. But the other thing that I like just about grouping these movies together is, one, we see like each offers kind of a different aspect of the Civil War fallout. Like, you know, the Black Panther thing feels a lot more like the political follow-up mm. and, and like, especially with seeing like Everett Ross and kind of what that looks like. The CIA I, and right, right. I feel like Spider-Man homecoming is a much more personal fallout um, like for him and to some degree for Tony, which I think is important. And then this is more the like actual logistics of like, this is this world now where like these accords have been enacted and he's and been he has in, to live on house arrest. Yeah, like he's been on house arrest. I mean, it is still like personal, but it's just a very like real world consequences of like this is a like because I think that was just one of the things. The the reason this movie I love so much being right here and and I've always loved it as maybe like one of the best parts of this rewatch order is because I think more than anything, it combats the effect that you can sometimes get from Civil War that it's like, oh, there's this law and it breaks the Avengers apart and then they have to come back together to beat Thanos later anyway. So it's like not that big of a deal, which I, I know is not the case. But I think here you really do see like, oh, you know, this law has been it's it's enforced and and like Clint has to retire, which, you know, we find out later. And, and anyway, so I love that. But finally, well, can I want to I want to say something right there. Yeah, yeah. I also can't wait to see how well Black Widow can fit into that because I hope it actually enhances this Civil War gap. Like, what if we get to see yeah. her being chased and she can't come back very easily? Or maybe we even get a Clint shout out as far as Clint retiring. Or we, I, I just hope it does that well so that this gap is enhanced. Continue. Oh no, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping for that in a big way. I would love, like, my my ideal Black Widow movie would have would be bookended by a, a Tony and a cap scene, which I, I know is way, way wishful thinking, but I would love something like that um, to kind of show how she's getting from, because in a way, you know, we do see her go from one side of civil war to the other, but we just never see that swing yeah, fully right. on screen. Um, the last thing that I wanted to bring up. And the reason that I brought this up here is because you're talking about Annika calling out ghost as a great villain. 
And I was thinking like these three villains that we get here specifically in this kind of post-Civil War era, I think are the the most kind of relatable of of the entire MCU. Mm. Like not which which doesn't necessarily mean like the best, but it's like I feel like even thematically they all kind of fit together. Like if you compare these three villains to any other ones, I really do feel like these are the ones that you're like, yeah, like I kind of see where they're coming from. Like it's they're, a good little stretch of villain movies. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Three in a row at least. Civil War, I think the genius of it was that rather than bring in some huge new threat from above that they had to face, right? Like it was ultimately kind of their own humanity that they were wrestling with. Mm -hmm. And so I like that in this rewatch order, these fallout movies are all like all the villains are kind of keeping with that theme. Like it's not that they're like some hyper powerful, crazy oversized threats, right? but they're mostly people that are kind of conflicted and hurt and backed into a corner. That's some of my favorite MCU stuff because as I've said before, like all these movies are kind of ramping up a little bit, but not every movie then can have a standalone villain that threatens how I feel about Thanos, right? Like right. I want everyone to always remember that Thanos and the stones are out there. That's the ultimate thing. But when they were making all these movies, they can't just go back and take a linear step each time. Cause at some point right. we've been like, Oh gosh, another bad guy, another one. Oh, finally we get there. Right. So I love it's like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like though that, Civil War starts us on a, a, a storyline that doesn't deal with like a massive villain with Zemo. Mm -hmm. And then these three movies also just stay the practical effects of the ground level of that. So I agree. Yeah. It's very refreshing. And it's a perfect buildup to what we're going to get to. And it's why I would argue the beginning of Infinity War is so shocking because we're, we're yeah. so lighthearted yeah. and we're so fun and we're so grounded. Then all of a sudden, bam, <laughs> donezo. Right. Okay, so now we've talked about where this movie kind of fits in, but let's get into the actual movie. And let's kind of start it here. I really enjoyed this watch. I was struck by how similar to me it does feel to Ant-Man 1. So this is what I jotted down. The small scale is fun still. Mm -hmm. Paul Rudd still rocks. He's still fun. I think the Hope and Hank chemistry has improved, but it still right. can be a little bit off at times. It's still really, really funny. And the villain to me is much, right. much better. So to me, it's a better movie than Ant-Man 1. But I guess I want to say that to say it does so many of the same things well. But one of the things that Marvel movies in general do so well is they take our characters and they push them places that I love, but they're risky and they're bold choices. And I'm not going to go through each one, but we are obviously with our main Avengers, we've seen them grow in so many ways. Even, if, you know, obviously Tony, you know, you know how much, we've talked how much he changed. We talk about how much Steve's changed. Obviously Thor changes, but even Hawkeye, we learn that he has a family and, you know, the characters get pushed different ways. And with this movie, it's fun and it's small scale. It's all that stuff again, but I'm just not sure that, it, it really moves us anywhere. Like, do I really know that much more about Ant-Man by the end of this as I did from the beginning? His friends are still funny and goofy and right. kind of don't really fit in. And right. I mean, Hope Hope has been pushed a little bit forward as far as she's stronger and has actual fighting ability that we see. But, they, you know, they still miss their mom. They want to get their mom back. Right. That core is still there. They still kind of think Scott's on the outside. I just don't know that it really moves the ball like a lot of the other Marvel movies do. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's an interesting point because I come away from this movie. I'm with you. I do generally like it more than the first one. And I liked the first one, you know, so no complaints. Mm-hmm. But I kind of come away with it feeling sort of like I think you you described when we were going through Iron Man 3, you know, where you finish and you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, good. I kind of feel that way because it's like, if we're going to try to make those smaller scale comparisons, you know, Far From Home takes Peter's character in a, in a totally new direction, I would say, you know, or, or at least like really grows him. Right. Well, what's the bold choice here in this movie? Right. What's the bold decision they made? Right. I mean, it, it would be, I mean, because he starts out as a con, right, in Ant-Man 1, and now he's under house arrest and kind of similar. Yeah. It's very, it's very similar. They break out of prison again. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Like I said, I enjoy it more too, but I just don't know that there's anything like as much as some people hate some of the decisions, that's what's going to happen when you go bold with things, right? Like again, the right. Thor, professor Hulk, all that stuff, you're going to maybe make some enemies with those calls, but I, as a viewer, give it credit for trying to do something different. And I just don't know. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, this movie's, this movie's here. Well, it's and good. I, and I think it's telling too, you know, and, and this is probably apples and oranges in terms of, uh, well, in some ways, but in some ways I think it's a fair comparison, but I'm, I'm looking at the numbers here. I mean, this movie made 622 million, which is by no means a small amount of money, but it's so funny how relative it is though. Like so many movies would be so happy with oh, that. Yeah. I just saw, I watched a beautiful day in the neighborhood and it was awesome, but that movie made like 86 million. Yeah, it's like just that's crazy. You know, 668 million. What a what a waste. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean it's it, but it's crazy because, you know, this was the movie like we saw Infinity War and I think that they in, in some in some ways, you know, we talk about why we do the rewatch the way we do and and how like I think Marvel's sometimes hamstrung by their economic needs and I think it's no coincidence that you put a movie like Ant-Man and the Wasp right after Infinity War, which, you know, was the biggest Marvel movie of all time at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting to compare Ant-Man and the Wasp coming off of Infinity Wars numbers to like Spider-Man Far From Home coming off of Endgame, which Spider-Man Far From Home made, you know, like half a million, almost double what Ant-Man and the Wasp here makes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, and again, the reason I say it's apples and oranges is because like, yeah, it's Spider-Man and everyone loves Spider-Man. But there's something about, you know, the character that's that's people are interested in where it's going and growing and I'm just not sure that it that that audiences are co- are connecting on the same level with the characters in the Ant-Man film. So I think I actually get it from the character in Endgame. Like I I think having Scott be a little less goofy, a yeah. little smarter, be the one to be in the quantum realm. This is all spoiler. Again, if you're listening at this point, you're getting spoiled everything. <laughs> but um there's a step there that he takes. We get to see a more serious version of Scott when he's going through San Francisco, um, a more panicked version. That's true. So I, That's I actually true. think the character is interesting and does get moved. It's just not this movie that does it. Yeah. But all that being said, there are still a lot of fun things in it. I um, I wrote this down in my notes because you actually brought this up to me that Hank Pym in the comics was actually at times kind of a jerk. And right. at first that kind of turned me off in both of these Ant-Man movies, because he is a crummy mm-hmm. dude. That's what I wrote down. But right. now I realize, like, well, they do a good job of portraying it because there's actually a lot of times where you're kind of like, man, Hank, you're kind of a you're kind of a jerk. Right. Right, right. 
And I think, yeah, I mean, you're right. To me, it's good to have a character that's, <laughs> he's, he's the jerk genius, but he's not really lovable. Yeah, like, it's, I don't yes. know, like, he, he, I mean, my, Michael Douglas, to me, is somewhat lovable, and I just like him as an actor, yes. but it's like, the character is, is yes. very much just like, all of the jokes, you know, in, in this with Lawrence Fishburne, or how it's just like, nobody could ever work with Hank Pym, because no one was smart enough for him. And, yeah. It's kind of and like, makes you know, you, op- obviously kind of in some ways different than Tony Stark where we joke about how Tony Stark's the genius, but he's kind of lovable. Right. He's mean, but somewhere down there, you kind of love him. Hank, you're just kind of like, well, yeah, I don't really, you know, <laughs> I don't feel you. Well, it, it goes back to something that you raised in the Ant-Man episode, which was, you know, why was Hank Pym so mad at Howard Stark slash Tony Stark? Yes. And, you know, like, was there really any rationale for that? And I think the idea is that it's just like he just doesn't work well with others. Yes, right. I guess. You know, and so I, I think we just, we see that here. And, and yeah, I, I kind of like that they commit to the character. Yeah, for sure. A lot of my other notes about this film are very similar from Ant-Man 1, which is my point, like kind of copy <laughs> right, and paste. Right. One of my favorite things about the movie is Luis. He's incredible again. His stories yep. are funny. I think maybe the funniest scene in the entire movie is the truth serum scene. Yeah, yeah, Where he's yeah. being interrogated. And he's like, not the details, Luis. <laughs> like, and he's getting so <laughs> mad, but they're like, hey, you're putting a dime, you got to hear the whole song. <laughs> it's like, right, right, there's right. a lot of fun lines from that. So again, Luis telling those recaps are so fun for me yeah no and it's funny you say it that way because i think if i were to sum up my feelings on this movie it pretty much is it does mostly everything ant-man did a little bit better yep yeah that's exactly where i'm at too not much to argue about there which is kind of i mean that's a to be fair a huge win for a sequel right yes i mean like that's not what we were saying about iron man 2 yep it's a little bit funnier the chemistry's a little better the villain's definitely better it's just it's a better version of ant-man 1 all right since there's no kind of crazy revelations here i'm just going to go through my notes because some of them are pretty fun i really like woo yes that whole dynamic is really fun oh he's hilarious the bit when he's like uh i'll see you later wait what do you what do you mean see, see me later like you're gonna <laughs> Catch me later? Like, oh, no, I just meant like, you know, I'll see you at some point. <laughs> that whole thing is so funny to me. It's, uh, yeah, it's Randall Park, I think. And yeah, he, everything I see him in, he cracks me up. But like specific, I, I love that he's also a youth pastor. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, him and Darren Cross. Him and Darren Cross. Hey, there you go. There's a connection. Maybe they know each other or knew each other. Um, I love what he says to Cassie. How sick is he? He's pretty sick. Like, like bad, bad. <laughs> he's kind of like second. Get- no, never mind. Sorry, right. I gotta go. <laughs> well, and his whole explanation to her, where he's he's you know like you yes. know if you draw on the walls with crayons, like that's bad, and you'll get in trouble. Well, your dad went to Germany with Captain America <laughs> to draw the walls of this, <laughs> and then he keeps going. It's so complicated. <laughs> wow, you must be really good with kids. <laughs> um, I also love that. Um, or Randall Park is supposed to reprise his role as Jimmy Woo in WandaVision, which is fast becoming the Disney Plus show that I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, same here. Yeah, that makes it even more fun for me. How crazy is it that the two characters that we've heard are going to appear in that show besides Wanda and Vision are Jimmy (laughs) Woo and Darcy. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Woo and Darcy. Dream team. Dream team. Right there, that's the dream team. I love it. I love it. Um, so like I did with Guardians 1, I think, and Ant-Man, I just started jotting down on the right side of my page all the times that were making me laugh because uh-huh. it's a really funny movie. Oh, yeah. It just is. Yeah, yeah. I love when Hope says to Scott, oh, 
that's where I hid every time we played the game. And then Scott says, I don't know that you understood the gist of the right. game. <laughs> In the background, you kind of hear that. Right. Hide and seek. Um, I also love when they argue about the undercarriage wash. Yes. We live in California, not Minnesota, bro. We can't spring for the undercarriage wash. But then it comes back whenever the yeah. car is little and he's like, oh, this undercarriage is filthy. And I love when Hank says to Scott, you may have entangled with my wife. And he says, Hank, whoa, I would never do that. I respect you way too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I felt like the writing really, really does hit nearly 100% of the time here. Um, and most of their performances, I thought, were also really great. I thought that, like I said, Walton Goggins as Sonny Birch, I just thought it was such a fun character to add to this world as just kind of this like very classic crime boss kind of dude, but with his accent that's just always so charming yes. but funny. Um, and yep. I love the, the con- like like what you said, the you true story. We're either in business, Hope, or we're not. Right. Well, yeah. and when he walks in and he's like, How do you know so much about car washing? And he's like, I do my research. <laughs> yeah, he knows all about the car washing <laughs> on the true serum. Yes. I wrote down true serum. That part's so funny. Yeah. How do you know so much about car washing? Well, and at the end when he's tied up and they use the truth serum, yes. he's like, yes. we have so many health code violations. Some <laughs> would shock you. Yeah, he's a he's a fun character, a fun addition. I love in terms of additions, uh Lawrence Fishburne's role here as quote-unquote Goliath, which is another fun comic shout-out. The interesting thing in the, in the comics when it comes to Ant-Man is that it did start as Hank Pym, you know, way back in the day, and we talked about that some when when um, I did the recommended reading for that week. And that character, I, I think, has it's changed so much because over the years, Marvel has had like a Tony Stark and a Reed Richards as kind of the two, like, these are the really smart guys in the Marvel comic book universe. And writers and editors, I, I feel like, have never known quite where they wanted Hank Pym to land. Because it's like, mm. he's not he's not got the swagger that Tony has, but he's not, like, as insane genius as, as like, Reed Richards is, which I know that you don't probably know a ton on the Fantastic Forefront. But so over the years, he's kind of had these different, iterations mostly wrapped up in the fact that he created Ultron like what we talked about but in all of that that means there have been a lot of other people that have taken over as Ant-Man and Hank Pym has kind of faded into the background at times and then Hank Pym has been Yellow Jacket at points and Hank Pym has been Giant Man at points and so then most recently not that long before the the film we had the introduction of Scott Lang as Ant-Man but we had this character, Goliath, introduced that was kind of the new giant man. He was a guy named Bill, who we see here, played by Lawrence Fisher. And just like another shout out that Marvel Comics fans kind of get a little bit of a, a little bit of satisfaction from. And I think Fishburne does it really well. And I think, again, in terms of adding some compassion to this narrative, like I, I really like the relationship that he has with Ava where it's like, mm. you really... Another villain that's not taking over the world, isn't using the exact same tech, and you have a little bit of feel, like feeling for her. Yeah. And how he is so compassionate. My favorite scene with that is when he draws the line, he says, if you touch that little girl, yeah. I will not help yeah. you anymore. That Bill still has like a, you know, a heart. Yeah. Bill is trying to do the right thing kind of the whole time. In some ways, Hank Pym is painted like the jerk, not Bill. Totally. When you find out about Bill's history, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, well, and even the fact that like he lets, he lets Scott, you know, FaceTime Cassie 
when yes <laughs> when she's looking for her soccer shoes and stuff like it's she just, said it was emergency okay <laughs> like I, I I just think that's one of the that's one of the real strengths of this movie the more I think about it because a character like that if we were looking at what a character like that would normally be it would be like oh well here's the guy that we go see and he turns out to be evil actually and he's been plotting because he's mad at Hank Pym for right. ruining his career right. and it's not that at all really like no there's the start of that like you kind of think it's going to go there whenever he shows up and they're tied up but then you realize right. it's so much more complex and that that i would say is where this movie does jump a, a good deal ahead of the first ant-man in in terms of complexity like plot wise and character wise i just maybe wish that some of that jumping complexity were more related to our main characters as well you know for sure for sure a few minutes ago, you referenced the writing. We were talking about the jokes. Mm-hmm. I did get a chance to watch the bonus features on this film. And the entire first featurette is just about how great Paul Rudd is. And it shows so many like behind-the-scenes jokes and stuff. And I just wonder how much of that ended up being improv. You know, because right. so much of it feels like it's just coming from a good chemistry from Paul vibe. Like, that's where it feels like it's coming from. Yeah. So I wonder if some of those jokes are you know, related to that. But also the other thing I have to say as a creative type person, I watch these bonus features and I cannot believe how unbelievable these set pieces are. The amount of work it would take to do some of this stuff is mind blowing. They reference how this movie was the first film kind of in Pinewood Studios in Atlanta, Georgia's brand new facility. And they show you the behind the scenes of that. It's unbelievable to me. Like Scott's house, they built that actual slide to film that whole thing. They built that house. The quantum tunnel lab scene is an actual thing they built. I mean, obviously they CGI the ants and stuff, but that whole thing is built. And I just think, wow, it's mind-blowing how many people have to work on a movie. That's cool. You know what I mean? Like somebody's job was to build that set for like a year. Yeah. Just for those scenes, you know? So anyways, that's a little sidetracking, but that's also amazing to me. I learned that from the bonus features, everybody. So (laughs) don't mind me. I feel like it is worth saying the visuals here are really solid through and through. Yep. Yep. Um, The music is also really Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. We we said that in our mailbag episode. (laughs) We know how much you love it. Well, and I noticed it even more this time. It's just, um, it's, again, like, it it takes what I liked about the Ant-Man score and just makes it better. Like it makes it more interesting. There's a lot of cool bass synth stuff going on, like what you and I were talking about the other day, where it's just, it's a really fun score to listen to. But I was going to say one more thing about kind of some of the, some of the writing. And like you said, you know, maybe even uh, an improv thing, but did you catch the reference to the quote unquote MCU disguise? No. Like, okay, so you know how, like, there are all these memes because anytime that, like... Oh, the hats <laughs> Yeah, like, the anytime glasses. that you see, like, Cap or, or Bucky or Falcon out and they're trying... Or, or Tony. Or Tony, yeah. yeah like, it's three, just, yeah. like, the ball cap, like, the plain ball cap with nothing on it and sunglasses. <laughs> yes. And, and like... This is not a disguise. It just looks like a bunch of people going to a baseball right. game. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's just us, but we're going to a baseball game. <laughs> yeah. That's a funny like meta joke. Yeah, yeah, I like that Uh, because it is like it's been it's been done so often. Like I love that we have these scenes where it's just clearly Captain America in like a coffee shop, but he just has a hat on, (laughs) right? And just no one, no no one sees him. Yeah, 
while we're on just other things again that were funny, can I just say some more? I love when Louise says, well, I have a lot of allergies, so you might want to think about that when they're about to shoot him with the truth serum. <laughs> right. um, how about Cassie's mom? I love the whole bit about Cassie's mom now protecting Scott. Yeah, yeah. And then whenever Cassie's mom says something that they can't do and Paxton like lovingly corrects, actually, they can. Right. Actually, he is. But one of them is which is like, what does FBI even stand for? The forever bothering individuals? <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of has like she thinks, Yeah, he's like, what? Last funny, I love when it's the one scene we ever have gotten with Luis and Hope by themselves. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, man, it's a cool suit. I'd love a suit with powers. You know, I, I'd even love a suit without powers. <laughs> <laughs> he adds so much to this movie. And I and again, like I, we've said this, um, but I think because we were yes. a little hard on Evangeline Lilly in the first Ant-Man, yes. I think yeah. she does, to me, it, not that she did a bad job there, I feel her performance a lot more here. It's a big step up. Yeah. The entire emotion, chemistry with all of them is way more felt to me here. Yeah. I actually think one of the pinnacles of the emotional core is shown in a really unique way by Scott having to pretend like he's Janet Van Dyne yeah. for that whole scene. Yeah, yeah. And like somehow they pull it off where it's funny, yeah. but you still kind of feel it a little bit. It is a step up chemistry wise across the board for sure. Yeah. And I, and I almost feel like they kind of make fun of the way her character was written in the first movie. Whenever Luis is doing the whole recap during the truth serum scene, and he kind of recaps a lot of Ant-Man one and it's like you see the scene again where Paul Rudd wakes up and she's there and he like makes some comment about her like scary haircut. And I'm trying to explain where Scott is emotionally. I want to know <laughs> where he is physically, <laughs> literally, Luis. <laughs> where he is I'm telling you, where is that emotionally? He's like going through all his problems. <laughs> yeah, I, but I agree with you on Janet. Um, yeah. I do want to talk for a second about Michelle Pfeiffer though. Okay. I, I think that... I'm interested to hear this take. I I don't think that it's I don't think that it's bad, but I don't oh, think that it's great. Man. Oh wow! So okay, explain. So I I feel like in the prologue, she's great. Like I I really like when I first like the first time we see Janet Van Dyne. It's like like she like she's kind of this like sweet funny mom. You kind of see her personality come across, and I like that. Maybe I should even take a step back here in terms of criticizing Michelle Pfeiffer because it's not like I, I'm watching it thinking like, oh gosh, you're just giving a terrible performance. Maybe it's just another issue like what we talked about in Ant-Man with the way that Evangeline Lilly was written there. Here, I think that like the version of her that comes out of the quantum realm, I just, it feels a little just a little wonky to me. And part of me is like, okay. well, sure. Yeah. She comes out of the, out of the quantum realm. So maybe she's just like a weirdo now, but it's like, <laughs> I just like, like I would say maybe the, the only scene that always pulls me out of this movie a little bit. Every time is the scene where she heals ghost. And well, it's, <laughs> I didn't feel that at all. It's not, the, it's not that she does it right. Like I like that plot point and I think it makes sense. But something about it just feels a little like, uh, one, I don't know. It's just kind of strange because it's like, maybe it is a plot thing for me. Because, okay, they the whole time it's like we've got to try to like drain this energy from her body, but it might kill her. But like that's what it's going to take to save Ava. And then at the end it's like, no, she just like has to touch her. 
And it just... Well, they didn't know that. Yeah. Though. They didn't know that she was going to come out with those powers. That's true. But I also am just like... what? Obviously, otherwise, they would have done that. Bring her back and then she'd heal him. Well, but they didn't know that. And, I, and I'm also just not quite sure what those powers are. Like, I don't know what it is yes. that she can do. Like, it seems like she there, might there, be very powerful now. <laughs> there's a deleted scene where her and Hank on the way back up to the normal world from the quantum realm... Uh-huh meet this like giant monster quantum realm monster that actually has like subtitles and like she can speak another like language that she can translate to this thing saying we're just trying to go up huh. it's a really weird scene and then like the monster lets her pass and i'm really thankful they deleted that scene because whenever the quantum realm goes from this mysterious like time traveling place to an actual land that she like traverses with a spear and there's like monsters quote unquote in it and she has like a physical healing power that's all kind of weird to me right i kind of like the quantum realm we get in ant-man one and the quantum realm we get in endgame but this is a little bit like i don't want to think of it as like literally another world where she's walking around as like it's like a like a nomadic territory right right well and i think i think maybe the other thing that just that makes this not work perfectly for me and I know Kevin Feige has addressed this, and it's not like it's a plot hole, but like you know, she has aged in this in real time, like Hank has, you know. So like, if we're looking at at the way that Scott experiences the quantum realm and Endgame, which winds up being like a big deal, well, it's very different. That's more because Paul Rudd just never ages, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, right. He, yeah, he actually I, wasn't there for five. Whenever years. we talk about Hank Pym and Janet, and sometimes Hope, I never can put my finger on is it poor acting is it poor writing or is it just poor casting and i never no i think it's all fine but none of the performances to me ever are like stand out yeah so yeah. i can't ever put my finger on what that is it might be the plot it might be the dialogue she gets it might just be that she doesn't work for that kind of role i don't know you know i i think i i'm tempted the more i say this because i i, I don't like I said, there are moments when I think Michelle Pfeiffer is doing a great job here. And and even like the end of the movie, you know, like the the end credit scene and the scene with her and and Hank on the beach with the house, like I feel good about it. It but but I think maybe it it is less of an acting thing and more of like I just don't know if we've been given enough to really care about these characters, but I don't know yeah. how that can be because they have such a like <laughs> they have such a backstory that's been like hammered into us, right? Like it's like we've talked about this some off air, and I don't know that we should get into this hundred percent like you're trying to right now. But there's sometimes when even in a trailer, let's say, we see something and both of our reactions are kind of like I just I don't feel that chemistry of that scene like I should, but I hope that they fix it by the movie. Right. That's a little bit how I felt with like Hank and now a little bit with Janet. Like I watched Ant-Man 1 and I was like, it's okay, but I just don't really ever feel it for some reason right. like I'm supposed to. And then I'm like, well, maybe they'll fix it by Ant-Man the Wasp and it's better. I just don't know that it ever will have impact with me long-term, you know? Like I, I'm just like, okay, it's there. <laughs> you know what? Okay, here, here's an interesting thing. Let's talk about this for a moment. <laughs> This is going to sound so crazy, but also I'm really excited for the opportunity to do this because we've been falling down on the job lately. Let's talk about Thor 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, finally. Wow. I've been in a drought season of not hearing about it. So Thor's mom, 
is a character that oh i love what you're saying that we got so little time with ultimately right like i would say i love her yeah 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 well and even let's not even look at endgame here let's just look at like the first two thor movies it had to be less than a page of lines had to be and yeah she's probably on screen for what 10 total minutes yet and five of those are her funeral (laughs) right yet her death is a very emotional scene for me. Like we talked about that at the time. It's like one of the more emotional scenes. And that's because like just her brief time on screen, the way that like, however you feel about those movies, like they had allowed her to kind of like, you know, anchor herself as this character that we care about, like makes it really resonate. And I'm sitting here thinking like, if I had a scene like that, like let's say like at the end of Ant-Man, whenever Hank gets shot, like he had actually died. I don't think I would have felt that like that, you know? No. And I'm trying to figure out or why if, that is. Let's say Janet couldn't, yeah, Janet couldn't make it back. Right. And they never, they lost her. Yeah, I wouldn't feel at all the same. It's so fun for me to compare all these movies. Right. Because the plot of Thor 2 is so ridiculous. Right. It's so over the top. Like this plot is so much better yeah. in Ant-Man the Wasp. But there's some things about Thor 2 that are so much better than this. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And I feel more towards Odin than right. I ever do to Hank. And it's not a screen time thing. It's not a screen like time you're saying. thing. And it's not a backstory thing, right? Because like on paper, no. Odin- I, I know less I know less about Thor's mom. Oh, I know way absolutely, less about her. Absolutely. We know, so we've, gotten, we've gotten two prologue scenes of background information from Hank. Mo, like a, a good chunk of both Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp are like Hank kind of telling his story and, and it's like all of this stuff. And I just like- and and maybe part of me. I love that this episode is evolving to this conversation because <laughs> I did not have this plan, but th- I love this. We're just kind of sorting this out right now, a lot. Yeah, and I don't want it to come off as like you know as as hyper negative. It's just an interesting thing. Like, why is it because? And, and maybe it is like what I was saying before, where the character in the comics just doesn't have a ton of of like fruit there. I don't know what it is. Yeah, maybe it's the weirdness of how she's introduced. Because she's introduced in a quantum realm, like as like a wanderer. Yeah. I don't know, maybe well, see, that's the- versus like or, or or is it is it because we feel so strongly for Thor mm-hmm. already. So we care about what he cares about, like how his relationship with his mom, whereas we don't feel that with hope quite yet. Right. So I don't care about Janet as much and their relationship. Because even off the bat, like the first scene when she's explaining the hide and seek, I made the joke and she's crying. I just don't feel that even. Right. I don't feel the like loss of her being gone. So, well, and, and so it's interesting. It's a whole different thing with Janet, I feel like. Um, I mean, it, I mean sim- similar, similar in terms of like lack of investment. But to be fair, we've had way, way less time with Janet than we have with Hank. But on a comic book level, I think what's really interesting is in the comics, Janet is like a very prominent character and like a very unique character. And that like, she's like kind of back from like the Stanley days was written to be kind of like one of the only, like apart from Spider-Man, one of the real jokey, like she was always making fun of supervillains. She was always like making the battles more fun, like had this kind of flair to her. But that sort of relies on her being like a young fun superhero. Okay. So yeah, but but my the reason I bring that up is I think what's interesting and this is maybe too much coming from the comic book side of things, but I feel like what's happened in the Ant-Man movies is Janet can't be that because Janet is now this like 
older person that's gone through this, you know, long trauma and has seen all sorts of like crazy stuff in the quantum realm. So she's not that character for us now. And hope is also not that character for us now. Like she's not like the fun kind of like breezy, funny superhero because she's so like has such a chip on her shoulder and is like, I'm going to prove to everyone that I'm like the, you know, the biggest badass in the room, which, you know, works in its own way. But it's just interesting that like to the degree that there are elements of the Ant-Man lore in the comic world that work really well, I feel like the only ones that have really been pulled out to good effect are pertaining to Scott and Cassie Lang. I don't know. That was an epic Robbie rant, and I love it. <laughs> Robbie rant, that should be a new thing, like Robbie's recommended reading. Um, to kind of spin this glass half full, though, it also just makes me appreciate the other actors that we praise their performances. I think there's like that running kind of joke or misconception that anyone can be in a Marvel movie. They just got to be jacked. and Right. And it's interesting because I'm actually the opposite. I'm praising Chris Hemsworth for his emotional performance. Right. And you take these two dramatic actors, and I think they're, I'm not belittling their career, and you throw them in the Marvel world, and not everybody fits. It's not just like anybody can just walk in and play the emotional side of it just because you're some legend. That sounds so mean, but you know what I mean? I'm actually thankful for right. how well most of the people can pull it off, is my point. Okay. One last tiny thing. The cameo, this is a deep cut from Tim from the Tim and Eric yes. show. Yes. Is so funny. He is such a weird dude. And it's so funny. There's a, again, deleted scene guy. Here I am. There's an entire deleted scene of him just improving different jokes about the whales. <laughs> and the entire boat is cracking up everyone he tries. He's so quirky. And it, I have a couple of friends that are huge Tim and Eric fans. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, it's the guy who's hosting the whale watching tour yeah. for the what? 30 seconds that right. Scott's by the boat. Such a oh, we got one servicing now. But like, <laughs> he is so funny. And I got a couple of friends that are huge fans of his. So like, I text him. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. Tim. Tim's in the show. Tim's an Ant-Man. So that's really fun. Okay. Last like big picture thing. Everything I've just been saying is very like small, funny. This movie is kind of just, it is there for me. Right. It's fine. In some ways, I'd almost rather watch a Thor 2, which is so weird it's because weird. it's not better. It's not better, but there's, the epic proportions of it sometimes is more fulfilling for me. But it was a fun watch and all that. The post-credit scene. Yes. The First of all, the post-credit scene does not work. It does not work at all in our viewing order. I don't think there's any benefit to seeing it if you haven't seen the other movies. And I don't even want to, I want to fight you on it if you're going to argue because I think all it does is it spoils is Thanos going to snap his fingers or not. I've realized that for comic people, I'm getting fired up. <laughs> they knew that Thanos did snap in the comics at some point, right? At some point, he did actually snap. Yes. In the comics. Yes, yes. But that doesn't okay. necessarily mean anything for the movies, you know? Okay, but I didn't know that that was ever even an option. Like I knew so little about infinity war that when they're talking about him saying I could just merely snap my fingers and half the universe would cease to exist. I call that mercy. I didn't know that meant literally. Right. I thought he just meant like with the power he was containing, he could wipe people out. Right. I didn't know. So I didn't know anything about it. My point is it was so fun for me 
to not have Infinity War at all spoiled. I didn't know he was ever going to have that. And if I watch this movie in our order and you watch the post credit scene, you would know something happens. So that's my first caveat. I can see your face. You want to respond to that. Before you respond to that, I want to say this really quickly. Knowing that, knowing what happens, and knowing that the movie kind of lulls you to sleep, like you forget that Infinity War is out there, right? Right. The movie is so small scale. So when that post credit scene actually hits, I got as big of chills, I think, as I maybe ever had in a post credit scene, this viewing. Right. When he screams, guys, and it just shows them dust, and I have chills thinking about it right now, I'm showing you. Like, because the movie is so funny and lighthearted, for a second, they remind you, holy crap, like this is out there, and it gave me so many chills. Oh, man. Okay, so this you is- You hated it. Oh, my gosh. You hate the scene. <laughs> no, 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 I no. I can no. see on your face. Okay, good. No, no, the total opposite. I love this scene. Okay. Okay, I, good. I, okay, two things. Let's, let's, let's talk about this on a first-time viewing, like it, let's, because I know that there are some folks that have been watching it this way, um, and we recommended the outset that technically, like chronologically, I think what would happen would be the way we've done it, we end at Ant-Man when the credits hit, watch Ragnarok, then Infinity War, then back to this scene, right? Like, I think that's how it should go. Well, and some people would argue that this movie should be viewed in release order, which is after Infinity War. Again, I don't want to get into it. We have problems with that because we don't like how lighthearted the palate cleanser thing right. splits up the two movies, all that. But I did love that the post credit scene brought me back to that yeah. in real time. And that's all I wanted Guardians 2 to do. Yeah, yeah. This is a Friends from Work deep cut. Okay, because Ant-Man right. and the Wasp is very not tied to the Infinity Saga for the most part, right. fair to say, just like Guardians 2 wasn't. But that one post credit scene, actually the two, right. both like reminded me, oh crap, it is still there, it's still tied in, and Guardians 2 never did that, that's what made me mad. Yeah, well, and just from, and we can get into the nuances of this, of this later maybe on a different episode or not, but I think that... <laughs> The, the, the reason I would never put Ant-Man and the Wasp really anywhere else than where it is is because, like, you run into some weird timing things of, like, the, the movie prior to that end credit scene, there's no way that that takes place at the same time as Infinity War. Like, it has to take place a good bit before Infinity War because we have, like, days passing, and it's not like you're seeing any evidence of, like, catastrophe that's going okay, on. Okay, first right? of all, you don't know that, but he could be that isolated. Second of all, yes, that's what I meant. The movie itself, I think you're led to believe, takes place before with the post credit scene after. Right, obviously. right, right. And so, so that's why I feel like it makes more sense. Me too, but what you're trying to get at is... I wouldn't watch the post-credits game. I've never seen it. And you're saying, oh, the mystery is kind of fun. That's what you're going to say to me, aren't you? So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that I, I'm, I'll have to pull some people that I know have watched it both ways. Um, okay. But, you know. Why have that spoiled for you? I just don't think it's a spoiler. I, I think if you were to come to me and you're like, look, I'm someone that really does not want anything close to a spoiler ever, I would I would say like what we've said, like on our first official list, you know, like hold off on the Captain Marvel name and the Wasp and credit scenes. But I think like, I don't think that, that you're really compromising a ton or losing anything because what I thought watching it this way, because again, so much of this rewatch experience for me has been trying as best I can to put myself back in like watching this story unfold. Mm-hmm. 
in, you know, as though it's it's for the first time. And to me, like, okay, I watched this, and you're you're right. You're going from this very lighthearted movie. You have no idea what's coming. And whereas, like, whenever I saw it in theaters, I'm like, oh, they just got dusted because, like, that's like this is how this is looping into Infinity War, which you're right. And theatrical release was very cool and a very cool way to end it. And shocking, or, yeah. But yeah. here, it's also shocking. But you're like, what the heck just happened? And there's no indication of what it was. You don't know if it's tied to the microverse. You don't know if it's tied to like something totally different. You have no reason of knowing right now that it has anything to do with Thanos. Yeah. Right? I can see that. Because you have to think, you are so associating the dusting and the snap with Thanos, but no one, like if, if we're back in our mindset, like pre-Infinity War, we have no reason to believe any of that. All we know is that something bad happens and, and, and they've disappeared and like other people have disappeared. Well, the very first person that gets dusted in Infinity War, you would have an inclination then of what's happening maybe before you would if you hadn't seen it. That's right? true. Because you'd be like, oh, that's the same look as Ant-Man, what happened to him. But if anything, I think that that's kind of cool because then you're like, oh, wait. Yeah, maybe. Because like, it's the same thing. So for, for example. I just love not knowing. I no, love totally, not totally, knowing totally. anything. Well, and, and that's why I would say, like, I would never begrudge someone for wanting to put these scenes later. But I, I even think that, like, I get you. my sister, for example, has seen, like, almost no Marvel movies and has been kind of going back through and watching in this order. And she watched the Captain Marvel end credit scene. And so I was curious to hear her thoughts on, like, how that affected her, her watch. And, yeah, and you said she kind of liked the mystery of like, oh, what's happening? Yeah, Where's yeah. Captain America? She was like, wait, is that the same guy from Captain America? Like, he looks really different. And like, who is like, who are all these other people around? Like, I recognize Scarlett Johansson, but like, and so for her, it was this like, oh man, like now I want to get to the end and figure out like who these people are and what they're doing there. And you could argue that like that lets her know that those characters at least survived till that point. But I don't think anybody that's been at all aware of the world around them thinks that like any of those characters have died before Avengers Infinity War. So I, my, my point is like, I think that there is kind of a fun for these specific okay, scenes, a taken, fun way to, to do taken, it. <laughs> point taken. But You're probably about, right. I get it. But about the scene itself, I think it is, it is genius. And to the degree that, that I'm okay with this having been released as a palate cleanser. Yes. I think it was a great way to do it. I love ending on the dark tone. And the other post-credits scene we're not talking about is crazy too, just to see again, the practical implications of a snap just for right. one second to see the TV being like the right. emergency sound, uh, which I just love. Uh, closing thought. Um, and I think by the way, I think that could be a, an argument against, against my side for the record. Like, like that's the only look we get at that point of like what the post snap world is looking like, you know, it's before so we get to quick. end game. So that's kind of cool, but it is like really, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you got to look for it. Right. Otherwise you'd be like, what, what is that all about? Um, closing thought. And I know nothing about the young Avengers from any kind of other thing, but I've read a lot online about people potentially saying, could this be partially a setup as far as, Cassie, like how she talks about how she wants to be his partner in a really cute scene, by the way. One of my favorite scenes. Oh, yeah. we need it real quick. Cassie's great. I love Cassie. We have a lot of child actors in the MCU, and she's one of the better ones for me. Yep. And she really fits with Paul Rudd. It's really oh, yeah. cute how it all works. Um, so props to her. That actress is amazing. Um, but totally agree. Um, are they possibly setting up something with 
with her or in Hawkeye's daughter maybe, or do you have any insight into that? Yeah. To, yeah, to answer your question from the comic book side of things, the young Avengers, um, I think Cassie has been on that team before and Kate Bishop Hawkeye has definitely been on that team before. So, okay. Well, I've kind of told you my thoughts on the movie, so I'm not going to repeat them. <laughs> I have this movie as a 79%. Okay. okay. Which for me puts it 15th of 22. Now, I said at the beginning of this episode in my leftover section, the main reason I am moving Captain America up is because if you remember, Captain America, to my credit, was the first movie we ever did. So give me a little bit of a break on my score. But I had Captain America as a 75. And I finished this episode and thought, there is no world I live in that I can put Ant-Man and the Wasp as a better movie than Captain America one. You know what? I, I just... I appreciate I that. I can't. Now, we have a couple fans that have tweeted us that did do that, but I just can't do it. So I'm moving Captain America 1 to an 81 so that it's slotted above this movie. So this is 15 out of 22 for me. And we are very soon going to give you a complete updated rundown of our rankings, both online in social media and on one of our episodes so that you fully know where we stand. Cause I know we've shifted it some and I know right. it can be confusing when you're just listening to a podcast right. where we're at, but we're going to publish some graphic in some way that shows Robbie and Kyle's separate rankings. So Absolutely. Where does this movie fall for you? So I think you said yours is a 79. Yeah. 15 of 22. Mine is a 79, but mine is 18 of 22. Okay. So I, I'm thinking then what, what are, what our differences are here? I don't know what all I have above it that you don't, but, um, Oh, I bet you, you must have Captain Marvel below a man and the wasp. I do. I have, I have Captain Marvel like one notch below. I just think this movie <laughs> does what it's trying to do a little bit better. But again, I know everyone hates me for that. I'll, I'll back <laughs> off on that. And I know another reason we need a rankings episode very soon is because on half the episodes I said out of 23, cause I was counting far from home. Right. Right. And now in this viewing in this season, we're not doing far from home. So I've moved everything up from 22. So I need to just give a full update on my numbers. I'm not moving it as much as it sounds. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if we're doing, cause I think I've been doing out of 23 as well. Um, yeah, exactly. So if we're doing out of 22, then, <laughs> <laughs> then that would make Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, number 17 out of 22. Okay. Okay. So we're close. We feel very similar about this episode. And now I want to quickly go through our normal spiel, but everyone's thinking, oh, Kyle, you say all the same thing every week. Like, I already know what you're about to say. No, don't turn it off yet. We have some important things. Just to reiterate. One, we love the MCU. We had fun watching this. (laughs) Two, this is not one of our favorite films, but three of our favorite films ever are coming up in a row. Uh We have an announcement coming about how we're going to handle all that very shortly. We have a new rankings episode coming very shortly on how we're going to handle all that. Yes. We also are still very thankful for all you leaving reviews and ratings. If you can, please do review us, rate us, subscribe to us. All of that really helps us keep going. Mm -hmm. And that's going to tie in really well with what we're going to do with season two. So we ask you to do that. And as always... We got one more mailbag episode coming up this season. So get your questions, thoughts in so that we can kind of tie those in as well. We still got a lot of weeks coming up that are going to be really fun. So get your thoughts in and we'll we'll hit those up at the FFW podcast on social media and the FFW podcast.com. Bing.
Just Robbie needed to make sure everyone knows how much he loves the score before we leave. Um, we, do you have any closing thoughts, Robbie? I just, I, I do want to say, I, I do love this movie. Like, I enjoyed watching it. Like, I, I had a good time. Like, there, there was never really a time, um, with the exception maybe of that Same. healing scene that I brought up, where I was like, eh. Like, really, I was just having a great time watching this the other day. And so, I don't want, you know, I know sometimes we get into the yep. nitpicky yep. stuff. I don't want people to think that that we are are booing on this. Um, the perspective is so key because I feel the same way. A, we like all the movies. That's why I said that. Right. So I already know that. And B, like I have a lot of positive notes, but I'm not going to go through every funny line and all these right. all the things. I just and then when C, you brought up that conversation, that was something we hadn't ever flushed out. Yeah. So it was important to dive into a little bit. But I get you. It still is a positive thing. But it's just, it's hard when you have a movie sandwiched between Spider-Man Homecoming and Thor Ragnarok. Yes. Like, what the yes, heck, you know? It's a lose-lose proposition right. at this point. But that just means that if you did enjoy this episode of us talking about a movie that we both, like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you will really enjoy listening to us talk about Thor Ragnarok, which <laughs> we very much like. Both like. <laughs> and... Kyle Cousins will be joining us for that episode yes. again for the last time. So that will yes. be super fun. And it's going to be a lot of geeking out about Thor Ragnarok. Oh, I absolutely. Just, I have a feeling. Um, we are so thankful to you guys for listening and for tuning into all kinds of these episodes. Um, as always, we really look forward to hearing your thoughts. Um, again, especially on this movie, because sometimes it's, all, it's always fun whenever Kyle and I are maybe lukewarm on things and you guys are able to to kind of flag some stuff that we didn't see and, and maybe show us some areas that maybe we didn't fully appreciate. So hit us up with any questions or comments you have Ant-Man related and get ready for Thor Ragnarok next week on Friends From Work. <laughs>